The NBA is making some headlines as the trade involving Damian Lillard, Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Joseph Nurkic. All of it uh, is part of our conversation that we're going to be having with Dan Favale of Bleacher Report. So let's pop on out to the KDOS hotline now. Dan, it's Kayla. How are you today? Thanks for the time. Oh, I'm doing well. How are you doing, Kayla? Doing fantastic. Uh, hopefully you can help us understand everything that took place yesterday and the implications for the teams moving forward. Uh, just as a refresher here to understand the trade that went down yesterday, Damian Lillard to the Bucks, Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Tumani Kamara to the Blazers, Yusuf Nurkic, Nasser Little, Keon Johnson, and Grayson Allen to the Suns. Let's, of course, start here locally with the Suns side of things. Ayton became a hot name to kind of blame around here in Phoenix. You had the extension situation two summers ago. You had his name popping up in trade rumors all this offseason before it finally took place. So was it just time to move on? Was the relationship unrepairable despite a new coaching staff? I do think that this hints at the relationship being kind of beyond repair just because they got rid of already not because of this, but I got rid of Monty Williams and Chris Paul, two people that everyone believed kind of graded on DeAndre Ayton or didn't have the best relationship with DeAndre Ayton. You brought in a new coach in Frank Vogel, who's been known for working well defensively with, with certain bigs, and so felt initially like the hope was, okay, maybe we can sort of reboot this. But I do believe, and further reporting might show this, that there's probably still just like a disconnect or a, or a displeasure between both sides, just giving the, the timing um, of all this and how close to training camp it actually is. And so the performance on the court absolutely had something to do with this. This makes the sun deeper. It breaks up some of his contracts, his contracts with multiple players. But I think when you look at what they got back, a lot of this just felt like the Suns wanted to get out of the DeAndre Ayton business. So for the Suns, uh, what kind of player are they getting in Yusuf Nurkic? Uh, they're definitely giving up more athleticism at that position moving on from DeAndre Ayton, but can he give you big minutes, or in some situations, does he become a liability on the defensive end? Uh, I mean, I think both are right. Uh, he will be able to give you minutes. I know he's had some injury problems, but some of that's been, you know, the Blazers haven't been great. They might have been shutting him down early in certain instances. Um, offensively, He's probably an upgrade at this point. Um, DeAndre Ayton, when he wants to be, is the much better rim runner, screener. Um, but Yusuf Nurkic can make better plays on the moves when it comes to the passer. So he's going to give you a little bit more options out the short roll. Um, he's not a great finisher at the rim, but he is going to go up, not with more force, but he will go up around the basket more often than Ayton. So offensively, you look at what he shot from three last year. I think he made 40-plus threes. That should help open up the offense. Defensively is where it's going to get dicey, as you mentioned. I do think there will be many matchups where he will become a liability, certainly in crunch time, definitely in the postseason. We've seen him lose a couple steps. If you can put something in place where you're not asking him to cover as much ground, but the benefit of Aiton is you know, he regressed a lot, but he could still cover pretty effectively both ends of the pick and roll. You're not going to get that same mobility, that same effectiveness as a ceiling out of use of Nurkic. And so I am very interested to see you know, do we see Drew Eubanks get a lot of minutes in crunch time? Does Kamaze Met two factor in? Or do we go to, we've seen everyone talk about Kevin Durant at the five, maybe in high leverage moments. And so that's absolutely something that this team does need to figure out. 
You know, the Suns, they have too many players right now on the roster for a 15-man roster. Uh, I am going to ask this question, and it, you know, I'm not asking you to be necessarily a predictor here, but when you do look at this team, uh, making these decisions ahead of when they have to finalize the 15-man roster, how do you see them kind of making those decisions about what players to move forward with and how best to kind of space the floor, attack it, and seeing those rotations come together? Yeah, I think, look, if you're someone like a Josh Akogi or a Kate of HD Ops, um, I think you become, and even you don't want an obby, you become way more important to this team now um, because they're going to need more out of their perimeter defense. And so I think you start to look at guys like, okay, Keon Johnson comes over in the trade. He is super athletic, but he has not shown much at the NBA level. Do you keep him around? Um, Jordan Goodwin, you might have to start monitoring, okay, he is kind of like maybe our fourth best ball handler or is it fifth best behind Eric Gordon? If you don't anticipate using him even as a regular season innings eater on offense, um, do you get rid of him, except he provides you with a lot of defensive tenacity? I think everyone is fascinated with the, the ball ball gamble, but I think he's immediately someone, if you don't think he could play you know, big minutes at the four or the five or hold up defensively, that's a name that you have to look at. So I think there are some, I don't want to say easily removable parts, but this is definitely a trade you make knowing that, hey, some of the guys that we thought we won – um, when it came to the minimum contract game, they're not going to be here come opening night. Dan Favale of Bleacher Report here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Uh, when you look at this Suns team, this is remarkable. There is now only one player from the 2021 NBA Finals team, and that is Devin Booker. Obviously a philosophy change with new ownership in Matt Ishbia, new system coming in this year with head coach Frank Vogel, new players gelling together. Is it possible that this team kind of gets off to a slow low start, putting all these pieces together, finding offensive rhythm, finding their defensive sets, etc. And overall, they're third in the odds standings, but what actually seems like a reasonable tempered expectation for this squad this year? Yeah, so they definitely could get off to a slow start whenever you're just incorporating so many new pieces and just new elements of your team. Because as you mentioned, like we're talking about new ownership, we're talking about a new coach. There's just so much stuff that goes into this. I think it helps a great deal that uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant already have familiarity with one another, and it helps a great deal that you get to go through a training camp. This wasn't all happening in the middle of the season or even in the middle of the preseason. So I do think that helps. It, to me, it looks like it's going to come down to what are they going to need to figure out on defense. They're going to have to test out certain lineup combinations. What do you use as your closing five? Who is your you know fourth and fifth most important player at this point? That's going to involve some searching, and I think the offense will just be nuclear enough. It can carry them on certain nights. But this might be a team that, I don't want to say punts on regular season games, but they might punt on some potential victories in the in the search for just self-discovery and knowing better about their rotations. And so being top three in championship odds, that feels pretty accurate to me. I think when you still look just at the ceiling of this team, assuming relatively good health, if you can have Beal, Katie, and Booker on the floor in the postseason, the teams that I would put in front of them right now in the league, like guaranteed, I'd have Milwaukee, I would have Denver, and that is absolutely it. I think it is wide open after that, and I think the Suns should be the favorite to sort of take up that spot as the the third in the the pecking order of the championship contender ladder. 
You mentioned Milwaukee here. Let's flip it to that portion of this trade with Damian Lillard now. Uh, We heard all offseason long that he wanted to go to Miami. Here he is now in Milwaukee. Uh, You had at various points this summer as well, Giannis dropping hints about his future in Milwaukee as he wants to make sure he's a part of a team that's competing for championships. So what does bringing in Lillard do for the Bucs, and does this say uh, we are all in behind Giannis? Yeah, it definitely says that they're all in, and it's a monster move for the Bucks. And I think we got lost a little bit in the translation of the trade from the Bucks' perspective is just how good Drew Holiday is. Like, this is an all-star. This is someone who is an all-defense player. This is someone who appeared on some all-NBA ballots last year. He just did not have the off-the-dribble pick-and-roll playmaking or shooting that a Damian Lillard brings, who is one of the best all-time when it comes to that. And now you put Giannis in a role that's similar to when they won the title, where we saw him off ball a lot more. And now you're not able, it's not that you're just able to do that, it's that you're going to want to do that because Lillard will open up the floor for you offensively a ton. I think the big question with this team, and they're undoubtedly, I think they should be the prohibitive favorites to come out of the East right now. The question with them is they don't really have a wing stopper anymore. They weren't too athletic on defense to begin with outside of Giannis. Now you get rid of Drew Holiday, who was the, the guy, despite being a guard, that you said, hey, go go defend that team's best player you don't necessarily have that option anymore. And having Giannis and Brooke Lopez on the court at the same time, you should still be able to field a, a pretty good borderline elite defense. But when you start to stagger those two, um, what sort of happens there? What happens in the playoffs when you're going up against elite wings? And that's a question they have to answer. But I think without question, they have measurably increased their, their championship odds, not just this season, um, but assuming that Giannis is going to extend looking you know, two, three years down the line as well. Also sticking here with the Bucks, they made a change uh, bringing in head coach Adrian Griffin. So what kind of differences can we expect with this team versus a Budenholzer team uh, with Adrian Griffin now at the helm? Well, I think you're going to see a lot of changes in the offense just because Damian Lillard is there. And so I already mentioned that maybe we'll see more of Giannis off ball as a screener. I think we'll start to see some different stagger patterns. Maybe we'll see Giannis and Chris Middleton playing a lot with bench units, and then you'll have um, Damian Lillard and Brooke Lopez leading other bench units. I'm very interested to see how this team does defensively. They figured out for a lot of last season how to still sort of wall off the rim while not allowing the highest quality of threes. Uh, will Adrian Griffin have them be more aggressive on defense, though, trying to force turnovers as sort of a way to say, hey, we're kind of lacking in talent defensively on the perimeter, could trying to create some extra opportunities in transition or end possessions early while to gamble. Is that a way to sort of offset that and so I'm very just fascinated to see the chess pieces that get moved around by him on defense because I think that's where this team materially has changed the most looking back to last season. One more here on the Bucks side of things. You touched on Chris Middleton. Uh, we've seen it before with this Bucks team that Chris Middleton's health ends up playing a huge role into how far this team can go. So how does the combination of bringing in Damian Lillard maybe uh, negate the huge need of Chris Middleton, but also when he is healthy, how does that just change how this Bucks team is viewed? Well, I think... I think it changes because now he is just unquestionably your second most important ball handler. He's your third most important player, but before he was your most important ball handler, the guy that you would probably trust to run a two-man game with Giannis in crunch time over uh, over Drew Holiday. Now that responsibility goes to Dame. So just sort of nudging him off of that responsibility just makes him more effective by virtue of, oh, now Chris Middleton's kind of this accessory on certain sets in the half court. And I think even when he's healthy, look, 
we saw he caught he got a little bit of it back in the playoffs offensively, um, and he looked great. And now just imagine that as the third option on the team rather than the second or sometimes sort of the the one B. He might have to get a little bit used to maybe taking some more catch and shoot jumpers, which is not something he's had to do in absurdly high volume. But he's a talented enough player to do that. I think the bigger question here, and this always would have been the question, is what's he going to look like on defense? He's coming off of another knee procedure, I believe. He slipped on that end definitely last year. And you and I have already talked about how they've lost defensive talent. The responsibility on his shoulders might uptick if you're not going to have Giannis covering these premier perimeter defenders. It's either going to be him or a Pat Connaughton or, or maybe a Jay Crowder. And so I'm very interested to see how he fares on the defensive end this year. Dan Favale, Bleacher Report here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Points. So Miami, they wanted to get Damian Lillard. Uh, the packages frequently surrounded Tyler Hero, who is now going to be entering his four-year $120 million extension. Where does all of this leave Miami now? They did draft Jaime Jaquez, which a lot of people love the fit for him with Miami. But otherwise, they didn't really make a lot of massive moves uh, from one year ago. Yeah, I mean, they're at a talent deficit. They lost two rotation players in Struis and Gabe Vincent for nothing. And so they can point to how they've made the finals in three of the past four years or or whatever it's been. But, like, this team is worse on paper than it was last year. Jimmy Butler's another year older. Kyle Lowry's another year older. Having a fully healthy Tyler Hero, that should go a long way. Um, But I don't understand the theory of this team as a contender right now. And they sort of turned on the Jets when it came to the postseason. Maybe they have more of that magic left in them, but... Their same weaknesses remain. They don't have that frontline partner for Bam Adebayo that they know they can trust in high-stakes moments. And just the half-court offense feels like it's still going to be a slog. I know people have mentioned them as a potential Drew Holiday suitor, and I think he covers up some of their issues. But, like, Tyler Hero is the better off-the-dribble shooter than Drew Holiday. And so you could argue, probably correctly, that Tyler Hero is the more important playoff offensive player. And so if you still have to go concoct a three-team trade where – you're giving up some of the assets you were going to give up to get game. How much of an upgrade is that actually? Is your offense still going to be a slog? And so I think this team, you know, you mentioned losing out on Dame. They had Giannis on their board too as well. And so you kind of lose two birds right there. I'm very interested to see if they look at any other type of moves on the market beyond Drew Holiday. But right now, as we've seen with the names out there, there's not a whole lot to choose from. And so I could see this team taking a monster step back, not just in the regular season, but when you look at their postseason stock, unless they're able to go out there and get either another shot creator or just a really high-end front-court player to pair with Bam Adebayo. The other storyline that we've been paying attention to all summer long is what's happening with James Harden in Philadelphia, and that relationship seems to be uh, really soured. Uh, he obviously is upset once out. The The talks were surrounding the Clippers, but I'm not sure where things stand and all of that. Is there a possibility that that still becomes uh, a deal that gets done, or does the trade from yesterday now open up other possibilities for a place for Harden? I think maybe Miami could convince themselves to get into the Harden business, but if they weren't willing to give up enough to get Damian Lillard, I don't know why they would view Harden, who doesn't necessarily fit their play style as well, has sort of wilted in the playoffs on numerous occasions. He's heading into free agency as well. I don't know why they'd be able to talk themselves into that. I think, if anything, this trade makes it arguably more likely that Harden does not get moved, just because if Drew Holiday's floating around out there, and on the L.A. Clippers, I prefer to go after Drew Holiday rather than James Harden based off the needs of my team. And so if Drew Holiday, let's just say the Clippers get into that business, or maybe they're waiting to see what other sort of playmaker options open up if Drew is staying in Portland 
to start the regular season, that's going to create more of a holding pattern with Harden. And I think, I think still, even after this trade, when you look at other teams that might have been on, on the margins involved, maybe a New Orleans or a Toronto, I wouldn't expect those teams to pivot into the James Harden business. And so I don't know that much has changed with him. Maybe it opens up another suit, potential suitor in Miami. But at this point, I would be pretty shocked if he doesn't begin the regular season in Philadelphia. Dan Favale, Bleacher Report here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. I already touched on this here with the Bucks as the odds-on favorites to win now at plus 360, Celtics plus 500, the Suns at plus 550, the Nuggets plus 650, the Lakers 12 to 1, the Warriors 17 to 1. We haven't quite started camps yet, but we'll be getting to that here soon. So for you, what team or teams are now really intriguing to you that have your attention now? Uh, just to journey off from where the teams that we were just speaking about, I am incredibly fascinated by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, they are a team, they added really functional shooting in Max Struess. They have a rotation, I think, when you factor in Isaac Okoro and Karis LeVert, that you go seven pretty, really good, effective players deep. And if you get something out of George Niang or maybe Ricky Rubio comes back or Dean Wade kind of factors into the fold, um, now you're all of a sudden eight deep. And it feels like, People are not, to me, accounting for, yes, the Cavs did not look great in the playoff series against the Knicks. Darius Garland and Evan Mobley are not done getting better. And so you factor in that upward mobility and then just sort of what else has happened in the East, the James Harden situation in Philly, Miami missing out on Dame. Even the Celtics, they're another fascinating team, really just recalibrating their roster, losing playmaking in Marcus Smart, forfeiting defensive versatility to really lean into a dual big setup with, a, with an injury-prone guy in Kristaps who's coming off a career year, but he's always sort of been all over the place when it comes to growth. Um, the Cavs, I think, could be flying under the radar. as like, are they a top-five contender in the league? I think they certainly have a case as, well, if it's not Milwaukee in the East, why aren't we picking Cleveland? And so I am just incredibly intrigued by the Cavs and how they open the season and just how they fare throughout the entire year. Dan, it's always great talking with you. Thank you so much for the time, and we'll be doing it again uh, soon. Most definitely. Thank you for having me as always. Take care. Once again, he is Dan Favale of Bleacher Report 